This episode is brought to you by Case Filters. Look, I travel the world with my camera and I can use any photography filter I like, and I tried them all. In recent years, however, I've landed on Case Filters. That's Case with a K, K-A-S-E. Case Filters are made with premium materials, HD optical glass, shockproof, zero color cast, round and square filter designs, magnetic systems, filter holders, adapters, step-up rings, everything I need so I never miss a moment. And now my listeners can get a 10% off the Case Filters Amazon page when they visit beyondthelens.fm forward slash case and use the coupon code Burnaby10. That's beyondthelens.fm forward slash case and coupon code Burnaby10 for 10% off your Case Amazon order. Case Filters, capture with confidence. Hi, I'm Richard Burnaby. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Lens, where I speak with inspiring people from around the world about photography, the arts, travel, conservation, entrepreneurship, and creative culture. In this episode, I'm joined by Felipe Dana a Brazilian photojournalist working with the Associated Press in Ukraine, covering the ongoing war there in the region. Felipe has received World Press Photo Awards in 2013 and 2017, was part of the Associated Press team's finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in 2017, 2018, 2019, and in 2021. In 2019, he was named Agency Photographer of the Year by The Guardian and Well, there's just too many awards and recognitions to list here. We'd be here all day. Before his assignment in Ukraine, he was working as a photojournalist in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Gaza, and other hotspots of the world. And I know what you might be thinking, a thrill seeker, maybe an adrenaline junkie. That's hardly the case. He's not fearless, as you might suspect. He's careful. He's smart. And he's doing important work in a place where many photojournalists would rather not go or refuse to go. The audio on his end is poor at times as he tries to maintain a connection in downtown Kiev in the middle of the night during an ongoing war. So I apologize for that in advance. And also for pure context here, I want to timestamp our conversation, which took place during the final week of 2022 when the Russian military was heavily bombing Ukraine's civilian areas. With all of that out of the way, here, without further ado, is my... Fascinating, important conversation with Felipe Dana. Hey, Felipe, welcome to the podcast. Glad you're here. Hey, Richard. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well, to be honest. I'm in Ukraine right now, working a lot. I actually spent probably more time in Ukraine this year than I spent home, but um, but I'm okay now. We're entering 2023. Um, what's the situation in Ukraine look like right now from where you are? Well, across the countries, um, it is a very complicated situation for civilians, as you can imagine. Right now, I am in Kiev, which is actually not where I spend most of my time when I'm here. But I, I just arrived um, again here a couple of weeks ago. This time, I'm spending more time in the capital than uh, other times that I've been here which is a bit um, easier for me to work. And in, in terms of, you know, I, I have a somewhat, a, you know, a good hotel, let's say a better situation to work <laughs> here than in other areas in the country. 
but you know for the civilian population that especially the ones there uh, on the east now or closer to the front lines but also even here in the capital like you know the civilians are, they do not have electricity for most part of the day uh, even in the capital so as you can imagine during winter that also has other consequences of course not to mention not to mention to the people that of course live um, in the frontline areas but the truth is right now is a bit of a difficult situation for everyone because even if you are in a somewhat safe area in ukraine an area that is not an active frontline or is far from the front lines you can be you can you know bombs can fall anywhere and as they have been for example a couple of days ago we had a series of drone attacks here in the capital mm-hmm. mostly targeting um energy infrastructure but of course doesn't mean that they don't fall elsewhere or hurt other people or civilians so yeah it's a is is not a definitely not has not been a good year for the ukrainians especially the civilians that has have nothing to do with this conflict and you're there working as a photojournalist for the associated press correct yes i'm a photojournalist for the associated press i i've been coming here to cover ukraine for a couple of years now not only from the beginning of the war this this year's war but i've been i've been covering for the past couple of years one of my close friends and video journalist that i work with is ukrainian actually uh, also for the up of course so, so i always come with him and um but yeah it's been a difficult year for for us but especially for the people here so i'm i'm assuming that you're you're not traveling alone when you go out to the front line you have a team with you yeah we work in teams what kind I'm, of team what, what kind of support do you have when you say you're you leave kiev and you go out to the front line some of the smaller areas from the countryside what kind of support are you normally traveling with so we have since the beginning of, of you know this year when you know Russia invaded Ukraine we that, that's how I'll, I'll explain it maybe easier to say how it works we have normally a operation here in, in Kiev you know we have an office we have staff local staff photographers VJs uh, so what happens is when there is you know a big event or of course in this case a, an invasion a war we all from other uh, bureaus of the AP come to help the local um crew basically the local staff and and that's what i did earlier this year when the war began when you know i was in europe when they invaded i was already in touch of course with my local colleagues here because we already knew that this could happen so the day it happened i just drove home to get my vest and you know security gear and then took a flight to Poland and into the border. Um and then of course that many others from you know across various places uh from the AP did the same and then we reinforcing the operation here ever since. So now for example as I told you I'm in Kyiv where we have our like base of operation but we have um a team in Kharkiv for example uh uh of photographer usually usually the team is a photographer a video journalist and possibly a writer and then most likely a driver or fixer depending on the team if it's a if it's mostly foreigners we always work with fixers um, which would be local local people who have connections yeah. and can speak the language and that sort of thing definitely i mean luckily we have a lot of local uh people working for the ap here but you know sometimes we may be in a team of foreigners definitely we need fixers 
um, you know, that, that can help us that understand uh, the you know, specifics of the areas and can help us. But then that, that's how we operate more like in a very simple way to describe you, but it's a lot more complex than that. But basically we deploy several teams and then it depends really on the, you know, on the time of the war and what's happening and how many people we have on the ground can be, I don't know, maybe less than a dozen to definitely a couple of dozens, uh, you know, the, the peak of the war. So it depends. What about security? Do you have security forces or are you sometimes embedded with the um, Ukrainian army or military? We do. We do. Well, we do security assessment every day and everything that we do has to be approved by, you know, um, AP managers and uh, security. And and then it depend, depends on what we're doing. If we're doing anything, you know, close to the front line, we're definitely following uh military or an embeds uh you know embedded with with some groups here in ukraine you know uh, this really depends on which war we're covering of course how we operate here in ukraine we're usually not sticking to one military group for you know long period of time and it's been safer not to stay with them overnight so we usually do not stay with military groups overnight unless you know on, on exceptions but normally here in ukraine we're not you know we're we may be meeting every day you know groups but we're n normally not spending several days with one unit as you know sleeping with them because it's just been extremely dangerous right so it's more common that we just meet you know some group um and follow their operations uh, during the day or for a couple of hours and uh, sometimes you know really just enough to get the minimum amount of material and, and leave the area because it's just been that um, dangerous to follow these units, especially close to the front line. And, and that goes to other things as well. So a lot of the times we're following like uh, emergency workers, um, you know, ambulances, and that also can be, has been quite dangerous actually. Um, they've been targeted as well. So it is really to be honest, you ask about security. It's all about security. It is a lot about security, much more than than people imagine. That is our first question to everything: how safe is going to be, how much we're going to be exposed, and yeah. then then we decide to discuss other things after that. What? And this is going to sound maybe like a naive question, but what? Because I know there's probably aren't any typical days. But what is a typical day look like for you right now? When you get up in the morning, do you do you receive information from uh, the AP, your, your bosses or the people you work for saying, we want to cover this story and you you head out to this particular location or you do you listen to what's happening just kind of on the ground and then decide where to go? How did, how does your typical day when you wake up, how does it go from there? Well, it really, it really depends on, on where I am. I figured basically. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that really dictates um, a lot. Right now, specifically today, and, and, and that's probably why I'm able to talk to you. <laughs> I glad am, you are. <laughs> yeah, I am uh, in a bit of an uh, unusual situation for me, which is, you know, being in, in here, kind of a, doing a bit of a office work, um, helping with the coordination of the teams, uh, which is not what I usually do, because I, I really enjoy being in the field, and, uh, and that's what I try to do. Uh, always, but this time we're just dealing with some logistical changes. Um, so I've been helping with that. 
getting a new armored car in some so just some sorting out some of these details but normally when i'm not here in the capital and or, but even here depending you know depending on the situation but for example i'll give you an example most part of this year i spent in kharkiv um, which is very close to the russian border it's a huge city and earlier in this year when we were there for a couple of months there were daily attacks in the city it was one of the one of the cities that was hit daily for many months unfortunately it's not really an exception that happened to many places so right now that's happening around the area in Bahmut and Kherson which are um, a bit south of Kharkiv uh, to, on, the, on the east as well and if you're working in these areas like I am most of the time it, it really depends on the time that you're there but there can be times that you know even big cities like that are being bombed every day so you really wake up every day with uh, bombs and you know the air raid sirens they just they're just all the time in, in some of these areas because they're just con constant attacks so it's really about assessing how big was the attack how dangerous it is for us to go there and see what happened. And then that's basically how we started the day. <laughs> what what happened overnight? What is happening now? Can we go to see what happened to these areas? Or is the attack still ongoing? And the real challenge is trying to predict the unpredictable there because really how can you know um, some of these, how can you answer some of these questions but but that's that's kind of how we begin our day when you are you know in these hot zones uh, closer to the front lines uh, active front lines and uh, that was my reality for a good part of this year and then and then you really really have to learn and understand as well as you can the situation on the ground so for example in Kharkiv you know there was these daily attacks specifically in one neighborhood but could be anywhere. But there was one neighborhood that was being shelled every day, multiple times a day. So we, at one point, we just decided not to go to this area anymore because it was just not safe enough. Even even after an, an attack, if we wanted to do an aftermath, you know, to, to, to go there and see what was, you know, were there civilian casualties? Was anyone hurt? Uh, what happened? You know, why was this place attacked? And we're talking about, by the way, residential areas, right? Residential neighborhoods. And uh, but then we, you know, we realized that, well, when we go to these places, there are, there are other attacks and when we we're there. So it just became too unsafe to operate many times. Um, so it really goes back to the question about the safety aspect. We just all the time try to understand as much as we can what is happening, why are they doing and, and how often and try to understand and see what we can do while remaining as safe as possible. No, so Which, security comes first and then all the other questions come after. Yeah, totally. Totally. So you, you've had some experience before you came to Ukraine. You've worked in other hot zones in Afghanistan and Syria, Iraq. But how do you prepare as a photographer for a war zone? I mean, either mentally or, or, or equipment wise or physically, what kind of preparations are involved in before you just go out there to the front line? I've been working you know covering these types of conflicts or wars for many years now 
but it, it really began very early on. I'm, I'm from Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, which is a city, unfortunately, also known by uh, the urban violence that we have. So that's how I kind of began doing this type of um, assignments. And um, I don't even know where to begin to tell you how do you prepare, but <laughs> what well, you I were, you, were, do... you were prepared already just based on some of the work you did in Rio de Janeiro. Like you said, I saw where you were carjacked um, covering some of the inner city stuff as a photographer. And then you've been to hot zones before, but what type of preparation would someone who's never been to a, a hot zone, what kind of preparation would they need before just packing their camera and heading out and, and trying to cover a war? Uh, look, I think, you know, I get a lot of questions from photographers that want to cover war zones. And I'm kind of a, I, I think I, I give usually a bit of a different answer <laughs> than, than, than most people that do this because uh, I think people don't expect to, to hear that from me, especially when you know that, as you said, I, I've been covering basically almost every war that's been happening the past uh, almost decade now or more, if you consider Brazil. But I, I, I don't think I, I would recommend anyone to do this type of work uh, in many ways. However, I do believe it is extremely important. And, and I think, you know, we as photojournalists, you know, one of my biggest goals is to show things that I wish were not happening to as many people as I can. And that's why I always come back uh, to these places. And sometimes when I, you know, when I get away a little bit and I try, you know, try to get some air and, uh, and then I see that, you know, these things happening, I'm like, oh, and, you know, I always feel like I, I wish I could, you know, be there to photograph and, and try to spread these messages as much as, as we can. I, I wish these things never happened, um, but, you know, unfortunately they do. So I just, I really just do this because I want to just show these things to as many people as, as we can. Mm -hmm. However, having said that, I think people don't realize how much goes, uh, it goes into covering these uh, wars. There is a lot of preparation that it really is not even something you, for example, I'll, I'll, I can give you an example of if you, you have to consider the, your own security in terms of equipment, right. of course, you know, the basic equipment, basic, uh, you know, uh, vest, uh, helmet, your first aid kits and your training, your preparation also to know how to react in some of these situations. But it's not only that, you also have to understand that, you know, getting into a war zone, it's extremely complicated, most from, uh, especially, you know, if you're working in the Middle East or in other places here in Ukraine, it's a bit easier to get to Ukraine because it's in Europe and it's easier to arrive. But to be able to work in a war zone, you need, you know, local contacts, fixers, uh, drivers, or a car, maybe an armored car, contacts of the military, military permissions, uh, and, you know, and so on. So I'm very lucky that I work for a large news organization like the Associated Press, that we already have a lot of this uh, system implemented and working in, in most places, or if not all of the places that I go. So whether I'm going to Afghanistan, Gaza, you know, Iraq or Syria, or here in Ukraine, we have local staff, we have people that work there, and I'm usually going to help them uh, when they need help. So I'm kind of a one more in the in the operation 
so I can kind of uh, help them. But of course, they help me more than I help them most of the time. Yeah. So, but if you're a freelancer or a young photographer, it is you have to consider all these things, and it is expensive, also dangerous. You have health insurance, so I mean, there is a lot of things to consider when you're when you when you prepare for this. Honestly, the photography. It is the last thing I think of uh, when I'm going to a war zone. So you would say you have a, a mission that you have. A, there are stories that need to be told. You wouldn't consider yourself an adrenaline junkie, would you? No, no, I don't think I am. I, I don't enjoy the, the war at all. I do think I, I do this because of the things I just told you. But also, I think I react very well to this type of situations, and I realize that I, I can do my photography regardless of of the stress situation or these environments. So I just think, you know, maybe um, this works for me on that sense, uh, you know, and I am, um, I try to keep myself very fit. I try to be always ready for anything. Um, and of course that added to everything else that I, that I just told you, I think it makes sense for me, you know, because I care a lot about these stories, obviously, but it's not only that. It, it is a combination of things for me. So that's how you prepare yourself physically. How do you prepare yourself emotionally? Because you're going to see lots of gruesome things. War is um, as hell, as they say. How do you take care of yourself emotionally, both in the moment and long-term, your, your long-term mental health? Are you concerned at all about that? Yeah, of course. I think in the moment is easy compared to the long term, <laughs> you know. Uh it's always when you are on these assignments and when you are engaged, uh you really, you know, I spend a lot of time every time I do any assignment, I try to spend as much time as I can in them and I usually stay for a while so you kind of you really live uh through, you know, through it and when you are living that moment you're part of it i think you kind of go into a I, at least i go into a mode a mode where i i don't really process a lot of the things and then there is one point that that i get exhausted and and i, I usually it's when i need to take a break and go emotionally, home for a bit is that, is that emotionally or physically exhausted i think the emotion gets um, I, get, I get emotionally exhausted before i get physically exhausted yeah, and then when you take a little break, and then that's when you collapse everything together. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, but you know, I noticed I noticed that you know earlier this year I spent three three months in a row here in Ukraine, almost uh, covering every day, every day front line or close to front line or at least very dangerous things almost every day for for several months. I was exhausted at the end. Um, and I wanted to stay. I wanted to keep covering the story. You know, I was asking my editors to stay. It was not them pressuring at all. Quite the contrary. But then you, when you, at one point, you realize that you really need a break. And, um, and yeah, it's not always it's not always easy. <laughs> so when you're you're not working, let's say you do a three month tour of uh, Ukraine, unless you go back to Brazil, what is your therapy? I mean, is it uh, the beach? Is it nature? Or do you actually see a therapist just to keep yourself at a high level emotionally and mentally? Well, I mean, I don't have one recipe for that, I think. But I usually, I'm, I'm now living in Barcelona. So I go back to Barcelona, which is close by, not so far from here. It's easier. And uh, um, 
I just try to, you know, enjoy my, my home <laughs> and uh, go cycling a lot. I like to cycle. I go running. I go skating. I, I'm really an active person. So I first, I, of course, have to rest a little bit, but then I, I, I try to go back into my, you know, cycling and running and uh, going out with my dogs and enjoying a little bit of uh, all these things that you don't get to do when you're on assignment. And um, yeah, be with my wife if she's not traveling with me. Yeah, I don't think I have one answer for, for has that. She, has, has she traveled with you to Ukraine, for example? She's here right now, actually, which oh, is okay. not which is not not common. Actually, quite an exception this time. When I was here earlier, um, she was here in Ukraine as well, but I, I didn't get to see her <laughs> because I was I was in the east, and she was covering um, more of the. She's also a journalist, and she was covering the migration. Um, you know the all of these thousands and millions actually of refugees uh, fleeing Ukraine at the beginning of the war. She was really focused on that. And I was, I was more on the team operating closer to the front line or in the East or in Kharkiv. So we actually didn't get, I didn't get to see her for months, even though we were in the same country, but this time, yeah, we're, we're together here, but it's, that's a bit of the exception, I would say. Do you get to choose uh, the assignments that you work on or do they tell you where you're going? I'm mean, going to say they, I mean, the Associated Press. I work for um, a department of the Associated Press, uh, the Enterprise, um, which is okay, kind yeah. of a, I do a bit of a longer stories, uh, not necessarily news, uh, breaking news like now. So I get to pitch a lot of stories. Uh, of course, I'm not working for news. I'm here working for news. Uh, but, it, you know, it just means that I'm very often working uh traveling for longer periods of time than you know your normal um news assignment i get to pitch i can pitch a lot of ideas stories things that i'm interested or that i think that i'm interested are things that they're relevant um they offer me um stories as well if you know they feel like something that i can can do but they're very flexible with that so i get i can pitch ideas um they can offer me stories you know ask if I'm interested in covering a story. But especially when it comes to war zones or this type of stories, it's really it's really up to you if you want to do it. They would never push you or force you to do it, uh, anything like that. They're very, very actually respectful when it comes to this. Because, of course, um, there is a lot of things to consider. But, uh, yeah, it's it's really a little bit of everything. Onto the photography, I notice a lot of your photos on Instagram and on your website, or at least looking here at the photos from Ukraine, they look like they were taking at night, or at least on the edge of night, the early morning or late evening or at night, very dark. Is there a particular reason for that? Well, that, that's a, a fair question. <laughs> and uh, the truth is, I, I probably enjoy these photos the most, uh, you know, taken at, at night or at dusk and or the, the magic hour, the, let's say. The, is it drama? Is it delight or dramatic? No, I think I'm just, I'm just, I'm just really driven by, by the lights uh, when I'm photographed. I'm really, I mean, maybe that's an obvious thing to say as a photographer, but I really focus a lot my composition and everything uh, based on the light, and I, I know that I, I'm always, I mean, it's, it's something that I do naturally. I don't, I don't think about it when I'm photographing, but it's very easy to 
realize that afterwards uh, that I'm always looking for specific types of light when I'm shooting. Mm-hmm. And I really have a hard time shooting any bad <laughs> light outdoors. We all do. Really, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's a bit of a just try to be indoors in those times. But uh, I just, I guess I just focus more than, than the average on that. I'm a bit of a radical when it comes to that. But probably the reason you, you see these pictures the most is because I just, I just, that's, this, those are the one I like and I post on my website or Instagram. Uh, but, you know, if I am shooting something at midday and there is breaking news and I, I, I'll have to file that photo and I'll file it, I'll shoot it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I just I just try to avoid as much as I can uh, these situations. And of course, the reality is I am that kind of guy that will always wake up early and go and stay until night just to get the same shot again in a good light. And mm-hmm. that's what I will use. So you're uh, you're, um, you're sometimes you're an artist and sometimes you're more you're documenting an event that's happening that you can't go back and repeat. I mean, no, to be honest, I'm, I, I, I'm always doing that. But what I'm saying is I can't repeat events, of course. What I mean is I'll always be out and trying to shoot in the good light, right. uh, you know, trying to get something uh, at that time. And, it, you know, if I, if I can choose to work in specific hours, I'll, I'll do that. And I'll try, for example, to schedule my day to shoot, you know, if I'm shooting a hospital, I'll shoot in a hospital in the bad hour, and then I'll go out and shoot you know, things outside in the better, <laughs> when the light is better. Of course, that is a very, you know, not a situation where I can really uh, do it all the time. But that's my, just uh, an example of what I try to do when it's possible. Uh, but yeah, I guess I'm just really focused on that while when I'm photographing. But again, you know, this, I'm I'm a photojournalist. So if I'm out at midday or or, or things are happening and I go, it is what it is. I I can't choose the light. I just always right. try to to do to work around it. Are there any particular challenges, you know, technically speaking, that you have to overcome? You know, working in a war zone that perhaps other photographers don't. Because I like to shoot a lot at night and in low light situations. It's just something that I I really enjoy, and I'll always be looking for things happening in these hours. That's you know that's probably why you also see a lot of my photos around that hour. Um, I actually, I, I shoot with a very simple kit and very basic gear and very minimal Why don't you, why don't you tell, tell us uh, what, what your, your basic kit is? My basic kit is usually uh, one camera and one lens. <laughs> and probably... And probably I shouldn't say that because some, maybe my some of my bosses will not be happy. But but uh, <laughs> no, you now you have to tell us what it is. What camera? What lens? Uh, we've been I've been using Sony uh, for a while now, so I have uh, the A one, which I really enjoy because it shoots silently. So that's the main thing for me with the mirrorless systems and a thirty five one point four. I will sure. usually carry a second body with a fifty, especially for backup. You know, so Sorry, your your go to your go to lens is thirty five millimeter one point four. That's that's it. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it, it's to me. I, I've you know, I'm very I'm a very technical person, and I experiment with gear a lot. And I really tried every combination or variation that you can imagine. But it turns out that it's, you know most of the time I just really enjoy having one camera with one lens, and 
I will often have a second body on my other shoulder, the 50, for example, or in my backpack. And 99% of the time, you know, I'll come back and I will not have anything on the second camera because I just forget that I have a second camera. I just, you know, um, I just shoot with one camera. Um, and yeah, sometimes I carry a 135 in the backpack as an emergency if I if I think I'll be in situations that I will not be able to move. But I would say that out of, I don't know, months, I would take it out of the bag maybe once, you know. So it's really 95% of the time a 35, 1.4 and uh, one body. Yeah. And you send the uh, raw files directly to your editor or you do any type of raw conversion there in the field or you're sending the raw files off it, it depends on the assignments um for like uh, breaking news in normal situations not a war zone we may file directly from the camera a jpeg if, if we need to publish it quickly but more often than not especially for me because i work a lot of enterprise stories where we don't have to rush you know to publish so quickly we edit and then file you know later uh, here in Ukraine, you have an embargo for a lot of the stuff. So if, if there is an attack, for example, uh, we cannot publish it within three hours at least. Or if it's a military target or some other infrastructure, maybe 12 hours for safety reasons. Um, so, yeah, because of that, that, of course, dictates how we operate because, um, you know, we don't have to file so quickly or we can't file so quickly. So... Yeah, um, but 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 also you know the camera. Going back to the camera question, also you have to understand that I'm, especially here in Ukraine, uh, I'm carrying a vest and helmet, and you know all of the time. So I also another reason why I usually prefer to have only one camera, uh, you know, with me at all times, or a second camera on the shoulder. But you know, because you may be in situations where. You have to move quickly or go into the ground. And yeah, sometimes right. that's not very good with the cameras, as you can imagine. Do you interact with uh, the people and subjects you're photographing with, or do you try to maintain some distance, social distance, and kind of maintain the fly on a wall type uh, posture? Well, I think for me, it's a little bit of a combination. It uh, depends on the situation, right? Um, I mean, if it's a calm situation, I try to at least always engage visually, you know, in a way that they know I'm there and um, they see me. And I shoot from the hip most of the time, which is a bit, I guess, funny. Literally uh, or, or figuratively? <laughs> no, I like to shoot as if I'm shooting like a medium format camera. So which means in, this, in these uh, mirrorless cameras, I, I shoot with the LCD tilted so I don't use, I, I like not to have the camera in my face mm -hmm. so I can interact with people. Uh, and I don't like to stop the interaction to take a photo. If if it's a, a situation where I feel like, uh, you, know, you know, I have to interact or I should be interacting with people. If it, if it, if they're busy or doing something else, I just, you know, and, and they see that I'm there and I can be there hanging out, whatever, uh, with whatever is going on, I can, I would, I would just hang out and shoot. Um, but I, I guess I'm a very calm person and I just like to stick around until I realize I'm not welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Are you often not welcome or often, you know, being ordered to leave either by security forces or by locals 
Um, obviously, there may be some privacy issues. They don't want their picture taken. They don't want, you know, they're you're dealing with sometimes with dead bodies. Let's be honest, and injured people, and they don't want the camera. It's the last thing they want to see. Yeah, um, the no, family members and and standards by this, you know, get out of here. We don't want you in this area. Give us some privacy. Well, it depends. In situations like the ones you were describing, you know, like um, if something happened, uh, you know, funeral or someone died. Uh, and you get there. I mean, it, it, in those in those situations, uh, this, is, this is different. Then we would probably approach family first. Um, you know, especially if it's like a sensitive event moment or a funeral or something like that. We definitely approach and try to talk first to get permission to be there. Um, if it's a breaking news situation, you don't you usually sometimes can you know interact with people. So it's more of a, a visual interaction in the sense that you know they see that I'm there. If I if I need to help, I'll help. You often do that. In, in, you often help, like put the camera down and, and help people that are in need. Uh, people always ask that questions, and sometimes I, I, I was in situations where I had to. But more more often than not, you are usually with others that are there just for that, mm-hmm. and you can just you know be the third person just overlooking and you know. Uh, for example, if there is a mass attack, and I'm I'm usually following emergency workers, right? So they're they're there. Uh, my job is basically get out of their way first, and then take photos. Like, so my priority is not bother the the emergency workers or not get in the way and while trying to do my work. But that's my priority. If I feel like they need a hand, we'll we'll, we'll give them an extra hand, of course. And you know, sometimes. They ran out of uh, tourniquets. I'll, I'll give them my tourniquets and, and things like that. But it's not very common that you are alone and you really need, like, you're the only person that can, can save a life, fortunately. But, you know, if that happens, then I guess we're all human first and, and, mm-hmm. and then photographers. But luckily, for me at least, most often I'm, I'm with others following, you know, people that are literally just doing that. So I try to get out of their way. Yeah. Along those lines about, you know, you being human, obviously you are, do you bring any personal biases? Cause you're a visual storyteller. Do you bring biases into your work and, and how you tell the story? Uh, for example, you're sympathetic to the Ukrainian people or you're sympathetic to the Russians or you don't like Putin or whatever it may be, do you bring those biases into your storytelling or do you try to remain as neutral as possible and just tell the story as it is? Well, I think, you know, for me as a photographer, I think I'm, I'm lucky to be able to really, first of all, as you said, I'm a visual storyteller. So what I try to do is get to the places where things are happening and then just see what's happening and, and and then just photograph it so that's 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 what i really that's that's what i do basically right that's the bottom line so i will not shoot or not you know i don't think i when i'm shooting something i'm looking for a specific message and you know even when i'm shooting in this sometimes dramatic light that i like as you said <laughs> yeah I, it's not because the light is dramatic and I'm trying to add, people ask me that. I'm, and I said, it's not because I, I'm trying to add drama to the photo. It's just, you know, it's just my photography, I just like to find specific lights that I, that I, that I like to work on and whatever is happening during those times. And I guess that goes to everything as well in the sense of where you're shooting. 
I just try to be there, see what's happening, and photograph it, photograph in the in the best way I can. You know, my that, that my brain works uh, in the sense of how I see things uh, as a photographer. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking um, more along, you know, how the the Associated Press would work if they sent a writer who would who would be there to tell the story without any judgments on either side and not editorialize too much. And I guess that's what I'm asking about. Are you trying to editorialize or not purposely not editorialize with the stories you're telling with your photos? No, I mean that, well, okay. I was, I was answering more on the photo side, but on the editorial side of the AP, it's very simple. You know, AP, we really, you have to understand that we have operations worldwide and AP is really, really focused on just telling the news what I just told you for photos is, is a bit also valid for every other format in the AP. We just try to tell the news and uh, we really focus on that. And you have to understand that we have offices in every country right. and very often we're covering the two sides of the war. So we're really, we're really just trying to show what is happening on the ground. And as it, as it happens, um, that's really our, how we operate, we're not, which is, of course, not not always the easiest thing to do. And of course, when you spend a lot of time with people, you know, you you relate to their issues. But you really, I really just try to, you know, to show what I'm seeing, what is happening, and then you know, sometimes it's it's just that, unfortunately, we, nowadays, especially I guess we see these things are just very difficult to let's say be neutral, I guess, but I'm, I'm here to just show what's happening. If these things are absurd and um, one side shouldn't be doing that and you just, you just can see that in the photos or in the work or the, the thing is nowadays a lot of, there's a lot of people, we had a, a team earlier in the war that was in Mariupol and they were one of the last, not the last journalists there. And, you know, they're covering the news as it was happening. You know the Russians uh, said publicly that that you know the Associated Press was, you know th- that these photos were fake or or staged, <laughs> and clearly they're that. not. I remember that. So yeah, yeah you know after the attack, the maternity hospital in Mariupol, and our answer to that is well, you know they're clearly they're not staged or faked. This was a real event that happened. We were there, uh, we photographed, we recorded, and here are the photos and the videos. So as they you know insisted that it was fake propaganda we can publish all the raw video here's all the raw video for you <laughs> you know uh, and that's what we did so i mean basically uh, and that's not even a response to that it's just like to show that that's how we work we just follow events and we you know we photograph and film uh and publish as as things happen so how much longer do you have before you get a break and uh you and your wife get to go back to the sunny beaches of barcelona <laughs> well, not not so sunny right now, I guess. But uh, <laughs> so um, I'll I'll go back um, sometime in January. But I'll definitely be back several times next year. So, for those who want to follow your work, what's the best way? You're, I, I know you have a website. You have um, Instagram. Your website is FelipeDana dot com. Uh, spell spell F- that out. Spell yeah, that out. It's F E L I P dana.com and my instagram is the same f-e-l-i-p-d-a-n-a right these are these are fascinating i mean compelling images 
it's disturbing also in many ways to so be prepared. And I think they some of these have a warning on them before you click on it on Instagram. It kind of lets you know that there is something that could be disturbing, but that's war, right? Yes, that's the, that's the unfortunate truth. Yeah. Felipe, I really appreciate you taking time uh, to come on the podcast and telling your story and what's going on in Ukraine. I just wish you the best and please be safe out there. Thank you so much, Richard. Thanks for having me. I hope we can talk in better times. You've been listening to Beyond the Lens with me, Richard Burnaby. Thank you to my guest, Felipe Dana, for quite an interesting conversation. And thanks to you, of course, for listening. Tweet me at Burnaby Photo with any feedback. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and a rating on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'd love to hear what you think about the show and what you'd like to see from Beyond the Lens in the future. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, beyondthelens.fm. Here's to truth, adventure, and passion. See you next time. Well, wasn't that amazing? It was created and produced by podcast partners. They're really lovely people and rather good at all this podcasting guff. Find out more at podcastpartners.com. Oh, 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 oh,